Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us over in Stevens Point and in Appleton, as well as those who watch online all over the world and on television. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. And good to have you with us this Sunday morning. Summer is finally upon us. Thanks be to God. All oh, two weeks of it. And uh, before the snow flies. Uh, this last weekend, last week, we were in Orlando with the uh, Gunger Duncan clan. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> take all the kids and the little grandkids to a Disney. And uh, it was a little brutal, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Uh, <laughs> Lathan and Lynn were smarter than we were. They would go in the morning and they'd go rest for a little while and come back. You know, we, married to the redhead, of course, had to be the whole time. And uh, 12 hours a day in 95 degree heat with a humidity index of 100 plus degrees. It was so hot. We got home last night and we lay in bed. And I'm thinking, I said, what were we thinking? You know, we're too old for this. And I thought, in our 40s, we were too old for this. So I don't, I don't know what we were thinking. Anyway. The redhead is not here this morning. She's recuperating. <laughs> Let's not do that again. Okay. Let's, we'll send them. Hi. Goodbye. See you later. All right. What am I talking about? Why am I here? Oh, uh, by the way, I want to encourage you this summer to uh, have fun, connect with people. Don't forget your church. Continue to support your church financially. Uh, you can join us online as well. Uh, but when you're here, be here, and uh, don't forget about us, and uh, continue to worship with us. Summer's a great time to connect with people. We want to encourage you to connect with people. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about how to connect with people. Uh, and then uh, next Sunday night, for those who can make it, a special uh, meeting uh, with uh, Pastor Arnie Jacobson, who is the f actually the one who got all of this started. He was my mentor. I would not be here and no one would be here. This building would not be here. All you see around you right now would not exist but for this man coming and getting all this started. He's going to be here. One of the great things that he's always been good at is how to connect with people and how to share your faith. Now, this is not one of these classes about how to show them in the Bible how, why they need to get saved. That's not what this is about. It's about literally, practically, how to win people to yourself. Because if you can win people to yourself, then you can win them to Jesus. If you think you can just be a jerk and then win them to Jesus, you're crazy because people don't want to be around you. You need to be kind to people. Learn how to connect. There's all kinds of ways they can reach out. So we're gonna, next Sunday, all next Sunday is about 
how to connect with people in the world. Because if we can do a job, good job of connecting people, more people will be inclined to come and be a part of this church. And we can watch it grow. Our whole point is that we want to affect as many people in our community as we possibly can. We need to do it intentionally. Everybody say intentionally. All right, I have a special guest this morning. Where is she? Rose. Where's Rose? Come here, Rosie. Wait, I gotta get a microphone for you. <clears throat> Good morning. How are you? Hey. <laughs> now, Rose is uh, a little farther from here than Madison. She's from Lithuania. If you know who that is, <laughs> Baltic state, right? We might need to pull up the map. Pull up the map. I didn't know yeah. it was. Baltic states. Up way up there by Russians between Scandinavia and Russia, right? Well, it's to the north from Poland. North of Poland. Yeah. By the Baltic Sea. Oh. Google they, Maps. They, they still don't know where Orlando is. They're still stuck with where? He said he was where? I don't understand. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she came here. She wanted to meet me, which you can all understand. <laughs> but why? How did you find out about me? Well, um, I went to a Christian university and I had some psychology classes and um, a particular class that I took was called Marriage and Family and we even, uh, we even were watching some videos uh, from um, that seminar called Love Your Way to a Mar Better Marriage and we had to write long response papers to like really analyze all of the material. <laughs> so uh, There's nothing to analyze, man. I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, it's yeah. really amazing how many times I hear this. Universities all over the world, even in our state of Wisconsin, play my videos. Yeah. Uh, on a regular basis, yeah. connect with people. So he's, he's well known, not only in our university, but I mean in Lithuania, because like I, I'm telling people about him, like, hey, like you're going through a rough time, your relationship is not really working out, like, dude, I can send you some videos, like, because I downloaded all of them. That's great. Yeah. Before you go, make sure that you come and get all my stuff, okay? So I'll give you all my books and everything. Well, I have a giant backpack. You have a giant backpack? Can you ship it to you? I want to, I want to send you my stuff. It's not, I don't have that many books. Okay. I, I haven't read that many books, okay. to be honest with you. Okay. So, okay it's so. not a library. Let's put it that way. It's a little bag of books and, and stuff okay. like that. I'll anyway, say hi to all your Lithuanian friends in okay. Lithuania. Hello, hello. In Lithuanian. That's English. Oh, in Lithuania. Uh, all right, I agree. Anyway, God bless. There you go. And she's single for anyone who has that sort of thing in mind, or us, <laughs> always interested in that here at this church. We are in a series called Significant Events of the Old Testament, having a lot of fun with this, going through and pointing, not going through the whole Old Testament, but going through and some of the key points. Uh, we spent most of our time so far, all of our time, in Genesis, which explains how we got here in the first place. So we're getting toward the end of Genesis, and now we've been introduced to Abraham, to his son Isaac, and to his son Jacob. These are the major players in the Bible. God is often referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who are these three individuals? Jacob, his name eventually is turned to Israel. Uh, and so he's a major, major, major player. They're not referred to 
Interestingly enough, as the nation of Abraham, they are not referred to as the nation of Isaac. They are thousands of years later to this very day referred to as the nation of Israel. Who is Israel? Who is this guy? What's this all about? So uh, Abraham, obviously, is the father of faith, taught us about trusting God. It was credited to him, not just to obey God. A lot of people get hung up and just do everything God tells you to do. That's really not the main focus. I mean, we need to be obedient, but the thing is faith. God responds to faith. You remember that story in, in the New Testament where Jesus is walking along and everybody's grabbing him and grabbing him, and one lady thinks to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole, because she was very sick. And she plows through the crowd, and as he goes, she reaches and grabs, and all of a sudden she immediately receives her miracle and is made whole. Jesus stops and goes, who touched me? And all the disciples are thinking, hey, everybody's touching you, man. What are you talking about? No, 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 somebody touched me. And he turned around and he saw the lady and spoke about how she had received her faith. The point of that whole account is faith is what gets God's attention. When God get, you want to get God's attention? Learn how to live in faith. Learn how to speak in faith. Learn how to trust in faith. This all starts with Abraham. Isaac then, uh, not really a whole lot of dramatic anything in the life of Isaac. His great credit is more like our credit and goal, to be honest with you. Um, few of us will ever be like Abraham or Isaac or some of these great prophets of the Old Testament. But we can be like Isaac. And what Isaac did is he successfully passed his faith on to his children. And that is a goal for all of us. And I know sometimes moms feel like, you know, my life doesn't matter. I'm, you know, feeding faces all day long and cleaning things and doing this and that. What, what difference am I making in the kingdom of God? When you can pass your values on to your children, this is the most powerful thing you can do because this just keeps spreading on and on and on. And this is what Isaac does. He gets his faith from his father uh, and passes it on to his son, our goal as well. So then we get to Jacob, who receives this from his father. Now, Jacob is a twin, uh, Esau and Jacob. Esau comes out first, and then right after him comes the, the brother Jacob. But in Old Testament rules, the rule was the oldest son gets everything. <laughs> it's really not fair <laughs> in so many ways to everybody else. But he gets it all. He gets the great blessing. So because he showed up a couple of seconds earlier, he gets everything. Well, Jacob seeks to get a way to get it back from him so that he becomes the number one son. And he basically, one time, we read the story. Esau comes in. He's really hungry. Jacob cooked up this lentil stew or whatever. And the guy's so hungry, he says, man, give me a bowl of soup. He says, I'll, I'll give it to you as long as you just sell me your birthright. He says, I don't care about that. Who cares? And he got the soup. And, uh, and that's how Jacob now gets the blessing as the number one son. So he was kind of sneaky about it. And there's other accounts where he gets real sneaky about it. Uh, and in our culture today, we would all blame Jacob. You stole your brother's birthright. That's not right. You can't do that. It's not because nothing's anybody's fault in America. Right? I mean, you could be an axe murderer, and it's not your fault. It's your mama's fault. It's your cousin's fault. It's always the government's fault. You know, always something's going on. And it was not my fault. But the Bible clearly points the finger of blame straight at Esau because he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. 
And what the New Testament warns us is not to be like Esau. Don't sell out your faith. There is nothing out there. Young people, listen to me. There's nothing out there. There's no amount of money, nobody pretty or cute or handsome enough or whatever to do wrong things in exchange for your faith. At the end of the day, it's nothing but a bowl of beans. Are you hearing me? There is no amount of sex, no amount of drugs, no amount of money, no amount of boozing and partying that can even begin to take the place of this glorious connection we have with God. Don't sell out for beans, is what the Bible says, and it points it right at Esau. That's what he does. All right, so the story continues now. We're with Jacob, and we read in Genesis the 20th chapter, verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went out, set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Doesn't sound very comfortable to me, but that's what he does. Super 8 was full. <laughs> he had a dream while he's sleeping in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth. Now, virtually every other translation calls it a ladder. I don't know why these guys call it a stairway unless they're Led Zeppelin fans. And <laughs> stairway to heaven, you know, so I don't know, whatever. So, uh, but, uh, and, and, and this is always referred to as Jacob's Ladder, if you ever hear that terminology. Jacob's ladder. It's this event where he has this vision. And in this vision, uh, he sees uh, angels. Um, it's, it says it stops reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There, were, there above it stood the Lord. And the Lord says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Then after Jacob, God always refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right? I will give you and your descendants the land in which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. The same promises he gave to Abraham went on to Isaac, and now he's passing it on to Jacob. Uh, you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. Your people on earth will be blessed through, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Uh, in the New Testament, this is always pointed to as the prophecy of uh, the Messiah. See, it's one thing for him to have a nation that is blessed. But then he always ends with, and then all the nations of the world will be blessed. This comes when Jesus comes, and now everyone can come to faith. Salvation is no longer just for the Jews. It's for anyone who believes. He says, I'm with you, and I'll watch you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. You, I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. So anyway, Jacob wakes up from the sleep. And he thinks, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. So it's a dramatic dream. I don't know if you've ever had a dream where God was talking to you. Very few people do. Has anyone ever had that kind of a dream? There's one. There's, there was like several in the first service. I had one dream like that. Oh, why? I don't know. But it's not a regular dream. I mean, it's as spiritual as an impact of any service you've ever been in, any prayer time you've ever been in, it's where like God visits you and says something to you. And it's extraordinarily powerful. And ask anyone who's ever had it, you wake up, that was no dream. That was like, wow. That was like a something else experience. And uh, so this is what happens to Jacob. And boom, he has this experience. Wow, God is in this place. And he's, he was afraid. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven where he has this experience where he sees this interaction between heaven and earth and with these angels. Now, all kinds of theologians and teachers have great insights into what they think all of that means. 
I generally don't go down those paths. Uh, and many, many of you know this about me, I just don't get caught up in deep theological things because at the end of the day, I don't see how they matter. To understand the, you know, what do you call the tabernacle of the Old Testament and the inner gates and the outer gates. There's people who can preach six months' messages on what each one of those things mean. I think, who cares? I don't, it just doesn't matter to me. I'm trying to not let my wife kill me, you know? I'm just trying to be nice. I'm trying to love people. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to give and serve and honor God and stuff like that. There are people who love to get into great details about theological things this mean and prophecies about this and that. And if you want to give yourself to that and knock yourself out, there's gazillions of books and you can do it till the day ends. Uh, I just generally do not go. I'm aware of many of those, if not most of them. I just don't major in them. I've got friends. I get with pastors and they sit there and think, you know, man, you know, what do you think about this? And I, after a while, I just say, man, you guys give me a headache. I say, why? I says, man, I'm just trying to get people to be nice to each other, you know. I just, I just want to focus on basic Christianity. That's it about me. Now, if believing those things somehow helps you become a better person, fine. But I know wonderful people like, well, wonderful, I know people like this who know all kinds of deep stuff and understand Greek and stuff like that. They can't stand their husbands, can't stand their wives, have affairs, uh, steal money, do all kinds of, not, not saying that everybody who does that does it. I'm just saying, apparently, it's not very life-changing. You know, we need to connect with God, which is the point of this. My whole thing here is I could care less about discussing a Led Zeppelin song or whatever the deal is about what this stairway or ladder meant. The point of this event is that he has an encounter with God. And that's powerful because you can't just live off of the faith of your grandpa and your daddy. Somebody say amen. And to you young people, look, it's great that you know what you know and you've been raised in the church and stuff like this, but if at some point you don't have your own experience with God, all of this won't mean anything. Just coming to church is good, but you've got to encounter God for yourself. Going to church every Sunday won't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage will turn you into a car. You need to, which is important in Green Bay because apparently that's a big thing. You know that when we first moved here? It's like a living room to a lot of people. Yeah. I'm not trying to make it fun. Yeah, I am. I am making fun of you. What am I saying? I, it's a garage. Let's go inside. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, it's a big thing in Green Bay. It's, it's an extra room of the house here. So. But what am I talking about? Okay, so just sitting in a garage won't turn you into a car. Going to church, following all the, doing all the rules, taking communion, doing, pushing all the buttons and stuff like that, doesn't mean jack if you don't experience God. If you cannot say, I know that I know that I know I have encountered God and God has touched my life, you're in a bad place. Now for some people, it takes them a while to figure this out. I don't know why. There's no other way of making it simpler. It just comes by faith. If you don't have this, you need to pray and ask God. You need to Make this a top priority in your life. You need to experience God for yourself. It needs to be where he becomes the center of everything. If your experience is you are here and you are the center of your own universe, which is what most people do, you're the center of your own universe and God's out here. And I go to church once in a while and this and that, but I'm the center. If that's your life, you don't get this. Because this doesn't become real until Jesus is the center of your universe. God is the center of your universe. Everything else comes 
after that and you actually experience That was an amen from an angel right there. I don't, I don't know if you could hear that over in Appleton and Stevens Point, but we just heard a big ding in the room. I don't, I don't know why there's an angel. Ding! You have to experience God. <laughs> Be cool if it was an angel. Anyway, that ought to creep out some of you. So, so anyway, that's the point. You need to experience God. Okay, and this is what happens with Jacob. It's not just what grandpa and daddy did. I now am experiencing God. And the Bible greatly credits Jacob, who becomes Israel. That's why it's the nation of Israel, because he is a guy who intentionally goes after stuff. He went after the birthright. Again, a lot of us would condemn what he did. But he wanted it, and he wanted it badly. And we're going to read later how he has an encounter with God, and he wrestles with God. He wouldn't let God go. We'll get into that when we continue with this story. We won't get to that today. Uh, but, and then here, how he has this, this dream, and he experiences God. It's about God in his life, and it's real, and it's firsthand experience. That's the point of that story. Well, then, he's going to get his name changed to Israel, and then we know that there are the 12 tribes of Israel. He has 12 sons. So the question is, where do these 12 boys come from? Um, so we come to the story of Rachel and Leah. Now Genesis verse 29, I'm sorry, chapter 29, verse 16. Now Laban, not to be confused with South Africans named Lathan, had two daughters because Lathan had three. But the name of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. Now, it's a very strange statement put in, uh, you know, Hebrew. And, you know, it's the Bible's way of saying she wasn't very pretty. All right. She, it is. I, you know, what, what you, 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 you go with what you got, right? You know, we're all dealt with what we're dealt with. So anyway, she's apparently a little frumpy and not that good looking. I say, how do you know that? Because what it says about the next one. So Rachel had, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Looked more like a Disney princess. Especially Robert Rabbit. You remember that one? <laughs> Jessica? Bow, wow, wow, wow. So anyway, this is... That's an intense cartoon right there. So anyway... So Rachel had a lovely figure. Wow. And she was a knockout. So Jacob was in love with, of course, Rachel. Now it says in love. I mean, he's infatuated with her. He doesn't really know her. As far as we know, he never even so much as talks to her, which will explain a lot in just a minute. But uh, so he's in love with Rachel. And he tells Laban, I'll work for you for seven years if I can get Rachel. And Laban says, well, better give him to you than somebody else. Well, apparently, they were very close. <laughs> Actually, it was his, Laban was his uncle. He's marrying his cousin, by the way. These, this, these girls are his cousins, which is what they did. Uh, they would marry cousins and even sometimes stepbrothers and sisters. They did this for thousands of years of human history. Abraham married his stepsister. Is, you know, it's a little creepy today. Uh, the whole cousin thing actually was done, even in this country, up until like the 1950s. Anybody remember 
who the famous person was that married his cousin that created a store, stir? Jerry Lee Lewis. Very good for you Pentecostal people. That's uh, Jimmy Swaggart's cousin. Uh, so just <laughs> inside joke, right? That's, that's right. Jimmy Swaggart, the great evangelist. Brother was Jerry Lewis Lewis. Great balls of fire. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so he marries his 14-year-old cousin. And the country went, what? You know, because it was still legal. That's why they're always making fun of the people in the South. Hey, you married your cousin? You know, anyway, they changed. Everybody did this. The kings and princes and stuff of Europe, they were all cousins to each other. I'm talking from different countries. They, it was all one gigantic same family. Crazy stuff. Anyway, so he says, I'll work for seven years for Cousin Rachel. He said, okay, better you than somebody else. Stay here. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. That's a long time. Say, Pastor, I thought you didn't believe in dating for a long time. I don't believe in dating for a long time. It's a bunch of unmitigated nonsense. Number one, he's not dating her. He's working for her. Uh, and number two, these guys lived to like 180 years old at this time, so a little more time, all right? Uh, and, and don't do this. I'm telling you, girls, listen to me. You parents, you tell your daughters, your granddaughters, do not let some idiot boy date your daughter for years on end. These guys will literally suck the youth out of her and spit her out when they're done with her. These girls start dating when they're 20. By the time they're 25, he dumps her. She's devastated. It takes her two years to recover. Now she's 27. She does it one more time. Now she's 35. She's kissed off her whole youth for what? Dating a couple of idiots. They can't make up their mind. You give them 12 months. 12 months. I will date you for 12 months. If he doesn't decide to marry you at the end of 12 months, you dump his butt and move on. Somebody say amen. And I'm not saying you have to wait 12 months. I'm saying that's the max. That's where you become toast. So many couples I know have been married for 30 years, married after two months of dating. It does not take years and years and years to know whether or not you want to marry someone. That is pure, unadulterated nonsense. You should be able to figure out in a handful of months, for heaven's sakes. People. I met this couple in Milwaukee holding hands and talking to me about marriage and stuff. And I said, well, how long have you guys been married? Oh, we're not married. How long have you been dating? Seven years. So what's the problem? They looked at each other and said, looked at me, how do you know it's the one? I said, you're both idiots. I'm not real popular with single people. Anyway, so... Seven years, he works for her. He's not dating her. He, I don't know that he's ever had a conversation with her. How do you know that? Continue the story. By the way, one of the things about the Old Testament, and we'll see this, I'll keep pointing this out as we go along. At the beginning of the story, it doesn't really make sense until you get to the end of the story. That's how you figure stuff out. It's like Leah had weak eyes. What does that mean? You don't want to get to the end of the sentence because Rachel was a hot chick. Oh, she wasn't very pretty. Stuff like that. It's, it's like this constantly. So he is waiting for seven years. Um, but check this out. So Jacob served seven years to Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him. <sighs> because of his love for her, I think he's out of his ever-loving mind. Anyway, Jacob then says to Laban at the end of seven years, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. Now, he hasn't even had a conversation with her at this point. All right? But that's the way it was. 
That's they got married, you got together and wee. All right, that was it. So Laban brought all the people together for a big party. Da 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 da. They give a feast, and then the evening came. At the end of the day, he took his daughter Leah <laughs> and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob makes love to her. Now, how could he not know it was the other one? Well, number one, they didn't have light bulbs. <laughs> number two, he had spent no time with her. There is no way you could spend so much as a day or two with someone and then wind up with them and, and not know in a couple of seconds that that's not the same person. There was no dating like we talk about today. He had no contact. And the other, he might have had a little, you know, <laughs> which all of you people in Green Bay will relate to. <laughs> Even over in Stevens Point, Apple. What did we just recently won some award for the drunkest city in America? Yeah, it makes you proud, doesn't it? <laughs> when you wake up in the morning with a different chick, man, you really drunk, man. That's a... <laughs> Ah, what happened? So, but anyway, so he, there's no lights. He had, didn't really know her. Just anyway, he doesn't find out till the next day. So Jacob says to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban says, well, look, it's not our custom here. Now you're telling me this? It's not our custom to give the younger daughter first. The older daughter's got to go first. He said, Laban was a renegotiator. You ever work with a renegotiator? <laughs> I, have, I have some wonderful friends who are renegotiators. I won't trust them further than I can throw them. I, it irritates me to no end. These are people who agree on something, and as soon as you get into it, then they renegotiate. Or they get to the end, then they renegotiate that. Re renegotiators, oh, I don't like it. Anyway, so Laban's a renegotiator, so all of a sudden he changes the rules on him. Um, so anyway, so Laban says to him, verse 27, look, finish this daughter's bridal week. Finish out the week with the girl, all right? Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Now what is, yeah, right? What a squirrel. Now what is often told in this, in fact, until I've been doing this series and really focused on exactly what happened, I keep shocking how much my perceptions are misplaced. You ask almost anybody, I was doing this just for the fun of it, all the people I knew who knew the Bible well, I said, ask them this question, how many years did uh, uh, Jacob work before he got Leah? Everybody says 14. Everybody says 14. Seven, and then another seven. That's not what happens, all right? That's why, you know, you just keep saying things, and we just, we get, you know, some of it doesn't really matter, but just, it's just interesting. You want to actually look and see what the Bible says. He gets her right away, but he has to work another seven years for her. So he doesn't wait 14 years. He waits for seven years. He's just got to work it out with the first chick for a week and service her <laughs> for the week. I know, it's terrible, right? So, so in verse 28, so Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. Poor baby. And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So she gets her right away. So now he's got two of them. He's got them both. So now um, Laban uh, gives his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as his attendant. Oh, and back to verse 24, we see that he gives Zilpah to the daughter. So kind of as a present, 
he gives them each girl a servant girl, which becomes their servant girls, okay? Uh, so anyway, Jacob makes love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban for another seven years. Now, when we pick this up again, we're going to read this story. Now, what happens is you can well imagine a great amount of competition happens between Rachel and Leah. And your heart goes out to Leah because it's, it's just it's so sad because, uh, you know, she just seems to be the one that, uh, um, you know, because she's not the pretty one. But yet, of all the 12 sons of Israel, she has most of them. So she kind of wins in the end, okay? But what's funny is to read the story of how they got to the 12. See, it's not one guy who had one wife with 12 kids. He's got the two girls, and then they each have a maidservant which can serve as, uh, you know, designated batter. <laughs> Are you following me here? I just... There's children. I'm trying to be as, you know, okay, there's the designated batter. So, well, what happened is, you know, they would put in a designated batter, and then if she gets pregnant, then uh, that would count to the one uh, girl that she served. So that's how it worked. So anyway, they get into baby wars. The next part of this are the baby wars. And they're like pimping out each other and their girls to have as many babies as they can to outdo the other sister. And it is really highly entertaining. I wish we had more time, but you're going to have to come back, okay, uh, to hear about the baby wars. And uh, why is this important? Because these are now the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the big deal that we still talk about to this day. And the second to the last one, his name is Joseph. Joseph is a huge deal. When we read the life of Joseph, it's an incredible story. Jumping at the bit to tell this one to you. It's fascinating. But anyway, it's Joseph that takes him into Egypt. That's how they all wound up into Egypt. And 400 years later, Moses comes to Pharaoh and demands, let my people go. And then from there, a nation is birthed into the desert. And they come back to this land that God promised them. Where you're sleeping, I'm going to give you that land someday. And it took 400 years before he got the answer. Fascinating. But that's how they become the nation of Israel to where they are today. All fascinating stuff. Anyway, some neat stuff is coming up. But today's main point is, number one, don't date for seven years. And, and number two, and more importantly, make sure you experience God. We're about to close the service. We're going to have communion together. And uh, your campus pastor is going to come and give you an opportunity to pray if you've never truly surrendered your life to Christ. And I know people, you know, some people have prayed this prayer coming to our church for years before it finally became real to them. Don't just blah, 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 blah you know, like some automaton. You know, that's, that's not an effective prayer. Mean this from your heart. You need to encounter God for yourself. And the only one who can control that is you. Where you put Jesus in the center of your life and he will change you, and it becomes very, very powerful. That's when faith really kicks in, when you start to experience God for yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, it's interesting to look at these stories and these accounts, how all this stuff began. We pray that you continue to give us insights and understanding in these things. And Lord, most of all today, Lord, I pray for each and every person listening to me uh, here at our campuses over in Stevens Point and Appleton, and for the people 
like Rose from Lithuania and all over the world that watch these services. It's stunning how many people are a part of Celebration Church as I travel. Lord, I thank you for all them. And I pray that all of them, everyone listening to me, would truly come to a place where they are experiencing God for themselves. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you.